Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Kreisman. And I'm Ira Kreisman. And on this episode, we continue our conversation on Final Fantasy Tactics. When last we left our heroes, the Elder Simon had perished, and Ramza Baelv's sister Alma had been kidnapped by the Knights Templar and their leader, at least of this particular regiment, Isolude. And so... Once again, we are left in the wake of tragedy and uncertain circumstances, trying to figure out the next course of action beyond simply chase after your sister, which right. is really the, <laughs> all Ramza has at this particular moment in time. I wanted to start briefly by going over the scriptures of Germanique. Not that we're going to read them, um, but the game gives the opportunity to essentially read Ramza's thoughts on the scriptures as he reads them and his thoughts on Simon's footnotes. So remember, you know, 2,000 years ago or whatever, in, in the ancient past, the, the Lukavi, these demons, had run amok over the world and it was the Zodiac Braves who came together to defeat them. In the less ancient past, in, in, the, in the history of Ivalis, there is a figure of history called Saint Ajora Galabados. So this is whom the Church of Galapagos is named after. Uh, and Saint Ajora is this, this figure of history, this hero who gathered together with his 12 disciples, the Zodiac Stones, to fight some uh, kind of ill-defined creature. Right. Now, Germanique was the 13th disciple, and that's what we're about to learn here. So I'm not going to read through the whole thing like I sometimes read through the pub rumors and whatnot. Uh, it's available <laughs> on the wiki. Yeah. Right, yeah, it, this is a long bit. And so I'm going to try to paraphrase some here. But essentially, uh, Germanique is known to Ramza as the 13th disciple who betrayed St. Ajora and turned him over to the Holy Adoran Empire. Clear parallels to Lucifer there, right? Right. Or, or maybe even Judas. Sure. Or, or maybe uh, Chris Rock's character in that Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> I was actually right, the thirteenth disciple, say. Rufus. I think. Rufus. Yeah. Yeah. It's Rufus. So Saint Ajora is thought of as this big hero. Was born in the midst of a golden age of technology. There were airships and so on and so forth. And we've talked about the Machine City and uh, uh, Mustadio sort of trying to bring back some of the technology to return to this golden age. But it turns out, according to the scriptures of Germanique that uh, Saint Ajora was just a dude. He never really did collect all the Zodiac Brave stones. He may have gotten a few of them, but certainly not all of them. And so the Church of Galapagos is terrified of this getting out because they know this is the truth. And they are currently using it, right, to, to position themselves against the War of the Lions and for the people, as Islud was saying last episode, right? So they know if this gets out, uh, that it's going to be bad news for them. One of the things Elder Simon notes is, as the founder of a new religion with a rising number of followers, Ajora was seen as no more than a nuisance to the empire. But Ajora, apparently, more than just a religious founder, he was a saboteur who infiltrated enemy states to collect information and sow disorder. Ajora was a spy, dispatched to the Holy Adoran Empire by a rival state. So not only is he not this great religious leader necessarily he was kind of a get his hands dirty spy yeah all right i'm gonna read some of this uh word for word because i think it's interesting it's both it's both about uh, about saint ajora but also simon's thoughts which i think is interesting given what we've learned about simon after saint ajora's death the church which has capitalized on his considerable influence to seize power for itself had only one task to conceal his true nature as a human being. This one fact has to be erased from the annals of history. They need to ensure that Saint Ajora be remembered as a child of the gods. Their use of the Zodiac Braves, a legend believed throughout Ivalis, was a stroke of genius. It was a simple feat to convince the people that Saint Ajora had led the Zodiac Braves to defeat a demon, a demon that never existed. 
I realize now that I lost my faith the moment I began to read these scriptures, and yet I feel no sorrow. Thinking back, I know, uh, I now know that my desire to know the truth was stronger than my faith had ever been. But I have committed one great sin. I have failed to condemn the church for lying to our flock all these years. And why? I knew that if I were to share this book with the world, my precious library would, would be taken from me. So, I, there's lots of parallels here, right? Was St. Ajora a child of the gods, or was he just a human being? And right. that could be said for lots of characters of myth, legend, and folktale, right? Right. I like that uh, Simon's temptation is not for wealth or power or whatever else. Rather, it's for information and books, because I can, uh, I can empathize with that uh, with that particular motivation. Sure. I, I was going to say, I find it really interesting that he's far more concerned about losing his library than he is about losing his life. And I, I think that's pretty profound. And, and you spoke on the last episode and I really appreciate it about the value of, and obviously you're a little bit biased as a librarian, but also it's all just true. <laughs> that That's where right. we keep the knowledge. That's where we keep the facts. It's where we organize uh, ideas and uh, pass on stories and so yeah I, I love that they keep coming back to that and that they keep positioning these two things as opposing forces and again like you can argue I guess that we're putting our own ideas onto this thing and if someone wants to make a, a, a reasoned counter argument that this is a misread of the text we're we're more than happy to read that and and give it its due consideration but this game has kind of been coming up to critiques of faith in general and an argument if not in favor of atheism or agnosticism certainly an argument in favor of a life that is driven more by facts and and logic and knowledge in the symbolic form of the library and the books here over blindly believing in stories from the ancient past. This is very clearly not just contained to one set of beliefs. And in fact, later on in the story, a character is going to make that argument implicitly. And I have to say, this is bold in any piece of art. And... We can see it in what's happening in the real world today in the United States with the way certain religious factions can push their ideologies into law form, into the state. And, you know, there's there's so much fear over being not explicitly and outwardly religious because... Some folks oftentimes then reach the conclusion that you have no morality and, you know, that you must be an evil person. And we see a lot of art, a lot of stories, a lot of movies, a lot of video games that, you know, where the character prays for strength and, and wins the day in the end. Or they tap in to their spirituality and they win the day in the end. And I, like, I love a lot of those stories. I, I actually find that several of them resonate with me personally. But I think it's both more interesting and unique as a piece of art or as a storyteller to do the opposite. But certainly, it is bold to essentially just come out and say, like, no, I reject this. I reject on its face living a life according to a set of scriptures handed down through thousands of years that cannot be in any way verified and valuing that over information that has been curated and studied and researched and provided and confirmed over thousands of years. I also think that, so, so we're drawing the, the obvious connection between the Church of Galapagos and the Catholic Church, for example, or, or whatever church, whatever organized religion has power, right? Sure. But also, I think the same can be said for, say, the Constitution, which was written 200-some years ago, right? Right. I, I feel like 
the founding fathers don't exactly have the moral high ground, right? They were slave owners. Right. So I think it's the same idea. Like, we're 200 years on. We can... We can do it again. We can make it better. That One of the best things they did was provide a way to amend the Constitution. Right. So, yeah, I, I really... The rejection of, well, we have to do it because that's what the Founding Fathers said or because that's what the disciples of uh, Jesus Christ said or because that's what whatever... The disciples of St. Ajora. Right. We, we don't have to do it just because... because you know, you you claim this position of authority. Right. And so, yeah, I think that is one of the big critiques uh, that, that uh, Final Fantasy Tactics is making. Like, the, the people in power don't get to say that they're in power because they're in power. Right? We get to reject that. And, yeah, I agree. It's, it's pretty bold. Yeah. So, we return to Ramza and Agrius and... Alicia and Laden Lavian are, are were huge hits in the Discord channel, by the way. People were happy to hear that they got shout-outs in the last episode. So, yeah, you know, the, the retinue, as I've continued to call them, the, the band of heroes as close as we've got to heroes in this story. And as they are pursuing Isolude and hopefully Alma, they are met. And there's this really great scene. It kind of opens on this small town and... It's raining heavily and, you know, people are like running inside and, you know, the, the animations don't really show it again. The, the graphics are kind of dated, but you just get the sense that people are like putting their arms over their heads, you know, if, if they had umbrellas or newspapers or whatever they might have. I don't think there's newspapers in this world, but, you know. <laughs> no free press in this kingdom, that's for sure. Certainly not. But, you know, there's that kind of, so there's nobody on the streets is the point, right? They're, they're purposefully creating this kind of situation and then a very interesting looking young man again i'll point out this is another character with darker skin and i don't think i really mentioned this before but i think a lot of yoshida's character designs are purposefully sort of racially ambiguous in a similar way to how nomura and amano's character designs can sometimes be gender ambiguous and we've talked about this before, how there really isn't an America, Asia, Africa, all of those things. But so, so it's hard to put a stamp on exactly if there's supposed to be a specific kind of representation. I do just find it interesting that I think the overall point, and it's received and it, and it works, is that this is supposed to be a world where there's lots of different kinds of people who look a lot of different kinds of ways. And that's really what they're getting at here. And they succeed I think the reason I keep bringing it up better than I think any of the Final Fantasies that it existed up to this point and compared to its contemporaries like Seven where Barrett is like the one black guy in Gaia. The Lando Calrissian problem. Sure. So this young man in ornate white robes with a little bit of red detail but overwhelmingly white robes steps out and says you are the heretic ramza yes so we've got this <laughs> standoff right away in the, right. In the and rain and the just it's like out of a movie wait no it's like it's out of a video game or something. oh wait it is yeah <laughs> right. and yeah. ramza having learned his lesson says of course not i've changed my hair and my clothes there's no way you could mistake me for him right he's he's figured things out uh, nope he actually immediately <laughs> drops his sister's name <laughs> No chill whatsoever. Hey, what have you done with Alma? Uh, I mean, he's not exactly thinking clearly right now. Fair enough. And this mage says, If you want your sister back, you will come to Riovain's castle. And you will bring the scriptures of Germany with you. Dude, I got these like five minutes ago. Who? <laughs> why does everyone always know more than I do? <laughs> And Ramza, I guess, playing dumb, right? Says, or or seeking information at the very least. So he's not totally not clever. He's just yeah, yeah. He says, "What importance is the book?" And the mage says, "Surely you've read the scriptures." And then you get to choose because it's actually like you were just saying. You could or could not have read them at this point. It's entirely up to you. 
But since we have, since we very clearly did, we will respond that way. I will, I will take this choice out of the hand of the gamer and out of the hand of fate, and I'm making it for all of us. So in this version of the story, Ramza says, I have. And if you would keep the church's secrets, you will give me my sister. And the mage says, you are not in a position to make demands. This is a luxury you do not have. So we have an understanding, yes? <laughs> like, jeez, dude. This is, this is an intense conversation, right? So, again, he just re reiterates, come to Giovane's castle. And then, Ira, we get this scene shift back to Zeltenia, and we catch up with Princess Ovelia and Delita for the first time since she has been crowned queen by some people. <laughs> right, uh, right. So for, for, for her faction, or for the faction using her, she is the queen, whereas uh, for the other faction, the baby is king. Right. But obviously she's been used and lied to this whole time. So despite the fact that she's been crowned queen, it's not exactly a joyous occasion for her. And... Once again, in the War of the Lions version, we get this beautifully rendered, animated, and acted cutscene where the two of them, out in the courtyard, have a conversation. So here you are. They've been searching high and low for you. I do hope this day finds your royal highness in better spirits than those past. Do not mock me! Please. I could not bear it. That was cruel of me. I am sorry. What do you mean to do with me? I am not Ovelia. There can be no value in holding me. No value even in my living. <laughs> You're right. You are not the Princess Ovelia. We do not even know your rightful name. Whether even you be highborn or low. I had often wondered. Of the royal family, why must I alone be confined to a remote monastery, so far removed from the seat of our crown? Even this I thought a burden light enough, if it meant the kingdom would know peace. I played my part, yet still Ivalice runs red with blood. It has been the same for me. I was given the wardrobe of a nobleman, and so I played the part, a puppet ever dancing for the amusement of patrons unseen. This wretched world does not reward endeavor. It is the patron and his troop who are receipt. Maggots grown fat on endeavor's course. Most men but play the part they're given. Most live and die not knowing they play a part at all. But I am past all that now. I am their unwitting puppet. No more! No more. I will exact from them the price of their gluttonous feast! And just what is it you plan to do to them? I will burn down this kingdom, and from its ashes build for you a new one, a kingdom worthy of you. I will show you a world where your light will outshine the sun. A world that will know no darkness. And you will have no more need of tears. Such a world is possible. I will not fail you in this. 
on Titra's soul. I swear it to you. All right, Drew, so you and I have played this game. We know how this ends, and probably people listening to this mostly know how this ends. But my question for you after this scene is, I mean, we've asked this about other characters too, right? Does Delita believe what he's saying here? Does he, like, I, I absolutely buy that he's ready to burn this whole thing to the ground. Right. But do you think, like, the, the sort of nobler parts of a world where your light will outshine the sun uh, and where, you know, the, the rich are made to pay for their gluttonous maggotry acts? Yeah. Is, are yeah, we buying that stuff. part? You know, I, it's, it's tough. And this is obviously something we're going to have to come back to at the end. But I'll say this. In re-watching this scene, in re-listening to that speech, I want to believe it so bad. I want to, again, slight spoilers, and I'll try to be coy about it, maybe erase the last 20 seconds of the game from my mind. Because as he's giving this speech, knowing what is going to come, I'm still sitting here going, F- yeah, <laughs> like... Yes. Yeah. Get them. But that's Exact also the problem. from them the cost of their gluttonous feast. Yes. But wanting to believe in Delita so bad. Right. Is part of the problem we were just talking about with right. Saint Ajora. And for that matter, the, the leaders of various organized religions in the real world or, uh, you know, the founding fathers. Right. You have to take everything they did. And understand yeah. the truth of it. Like part of my frustration with Simon, like he talked, like we, we talked about understanding that that motivation for wanting the knowledge. And I get that, you know, you want your library. I'm a librarian, but I'm also a teacher, right? I am a teacher librarian. And part of my goal is to make sure that people understand what is really going on. And so that Simon sacrificed the teacher part of that equation. I mean, he, he does the right thing in the end, but he knows he's screwed up. Yeah. Yeah, I want to, I also want to believe. And I want to believe that in this moment he believes. Yeah, again, we'll, we'll return to that. But, <clears throat> oh, yeah, tough to watch in hindsight. Great scene either way. So then, Ira, in the War of the Lions version, we get this extra bonus scene that is plopped in right here. And there's not, you know, much in the long term that matters about it. Uh, They just drop the main character from Final Fantasy Tactics 2, a character named Luso Clemens, uh, into this story. He gets, like, two scenes here where he's, like, running away from a behemoth and... Uh, Ramza and team kind of have to jump in and help him out and save him in battle. And there's a fun little exchange, but they don't really, he's not really kind of like a, a scene coming later. Spoilers, spoilers, I guess, if you didn't know about this, but with, with cloud, right? Like, mm-hmm. which I think this was kind of trying to reference is that apparently Ivalice is a land that people go to when they get sucked into wormholes or right. dimensions or life streams or whatever. Yeah. Well, because so Tactics Advance and Tactics Advance 2, yeah, dude, yeah. Uh, which is where Luso comes from, start out in a modern world and then they find a storybook and then they get sucked to this. So they, they start out in a modern city called St. Evelis and then get sucked into the world of the game or the story uh, or what have you. And so, yeah, that a version of Luso exists in the War of the Lions is really interesting. And that they give him the, I think they give him the hunter class and in Advance 2, a big part, especially of the early game, is just, you know, meeting Sid and, and being part of his guild and going on hunting jobs. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, it's fun. I'm glad he exists in this world, in this game. Uh, I don't know if he's meant to be the Luso from Advance 2 or if it's a different version. Sure. But, but yeah, m- multiple versions of the same character existing is a fun idea. And I love, again, the just massive time span that this story now covers once you include him. Because like you said, you can go all the way to some sort of modern town where all of this fantastical stuff has gone from the world, but it apparently it existed in, in its actual history. And so Ar-Islam would be in Luso's past and 
Ramza and Delita are in Arazlam's past, and Saint Ajora and all of that is in their past, right? So we're going basically from the biblical times through like a modern era, and we have characters from each one, which is kind of interesting and, and fun. Then, Ira, we get this really tragic short scene that I think is a great exploration and examination of like the confusion. I guess you'd call it the fog of war and not just like the confusion on a battlefield and, and friendly fire and things like that. But these things you would get where, you know, when there's so many factions, so many different people fighting and in so many different reasons, so many different motivations that any encounter with someone you don't know could potentially become deadly. Any misunderstanding or any just one hair trigger moment could become a life and death situation. And so war isn't just hell and death on the people participating in the active, you know, the battle out there in the field where you you sort of know that people are going to die because they're marching toward each other. And that's sort of part of it. There are these these little things too. So we basically just come upon some random deserters from the order of the Southern sky. They're arguing with each other about whether or not, you know, they should go back or, or whether or not it's better to quote, live in the streets or die in them. Boy, those are some options. You know, when they see Rams and his group, they think, Oh no, they've caught up with us. They're here to take us back. We have to fight. We're going to have to fight these guys off, fight for our lives. And, and Ramza tries to explain, you know, Hey, <laughs> We are not here to take you back to the order of the Southern sky. Like we're, we're not with them. We're not with anybody. And at first it's like, how could we possibly believe you? And then one of the deserters recognizes Ramza from the handbill. That's the heretic. And if we take him in, maybe we can go back and we can get a reward and maybe not have to live in the streets. Maybe this is our third option, right? Live in the streets, die in the streets, or capture the heretic, and maybe we can have our lives back. And so they went from, oh no, we're being pursued and we would rather just run away. We don't want these people to attack us, to let's attack them. And it's just, this is the absolute mess that these kinds of conflicts can create. And it's really awful and tragic that we end up just basically having to kill these people. Yeah, it's it's really terrible. And it's, it parallels what we already know about why the Corpus Brigade formed, right? Right, right? It was live in the streets or die in them, no longer be a deserter and go back, but then probably be hung for being a deserter. Right. Like the, the people in power just have all the power of life and death over people who don't have power, and it's horrifying. Ramza says something at the conclusion of this battle that I really love, and I love that he doesn't finish the thought. He says... I understand the need to hold one's own life dear, but to hold it so far above all others. And he just, and he just trails off and like, yeah, that's, that's a question that we've all got to ask ourselves, right? Like, yeah, you've got to protect you and yours, but how far above everyone else's life do you hold it? You know, your right to go to the gym matters more than your neighbor's right to live. Anyway, getting a little preachy this episode it's the game's fault (laughs) i was gonna say it's like we've talked about with some of the other games right like it's it's not that you and i are preachy i don't think but rather that the the stories ask these questions present these problems right so as ramza and his group are getting ready to move on the group of southern sky soldiers do happen upon them the looking for the deserters that they just killed off and they are led by a familiar face it is oran which i'm going to try to pronounce differently than i pronounced the name of the character in final fantasy 10 oran okay yeah <laughs> just i just realized last episode i was like a little too close so oran or oran uh-huh. i think is o-r-r-a-n for those of you who aren't sure how it is spelled and he happens upon roms and says well well we meet again you know <laughs> They had a fun little, very short exchange before where Ramza basically saved them and they they parted ways quickly. And Ramza says, I see the black lion sits upon your breast. You are of the order of the southern sky then. And Oran, not playing coy at all, says, I am. 
and it would seem we have you to thank for dealing with our deserters. I must admit, I never thought I'd see the day a Baalv lent his aid to our order. And Ramza says, the fight was not of my choosing. He didn't have to say that. Right. I, I think it's well known, even by Oran and the, the Southern Sky, that Ramza is not associated with his brothers. He's not a member of the Northern Sky anymore. Right. But he he go, he he confirms it, right? He's like, look, this is not what I want. Just um, because I'm good at it doesn't mean it's what I want. Right. It's almost time for the Wolverine line, right? Like, I'm just really good at winning battles, dude. It's right. not what I asked for. What I do isn't very nice. So Oran says, I know, you do not wish to shed blood, but it cannot always be avoided. We're no different. Do you think we hunt these men down of uh, out of enmity? Craven they may be, but they've not wronged us. So it's like, they're, they're almost like looking at each other like, what are, what are we doing out here? Right. Like, yeah. We are so caught up in that current that Delito was talking about. <laughs> Recognizing they can only take that conversation so far, Ramza turns to the other important matter at hand and says, you knew who I was the whole time, right? <laughs> <laughs> like you were saying earlier, everybody knows more than he does. Yeah. And Oran says, I did. I'd seen your name and face upon a bill. You're famous, dude. <laughs> Inexplicable heresy, was it not? My mind reels at the thought of what you must have done. <laughs> uh, I love Oran oh, so much. He's just so not buying into any of it. He doesn't know what to do either, but he just doesn't buy into any of it, which makes him someone that Ramza can talk to. Right. I, I find the phrase uh, inexplicable heresy particularly interesting too. Like, we, th- this man is such a heretic, we can't even explain it. Yeah. We can't even describe to you how heretical he is. Right, right. Like, come on, inexplicable heresy. Right. And so Ramza, and I think he's now playing coy back and as he asked this question again. I think if, in a, in a modern telling, if we got our HBO series of this show, the actor would give a nice coy smile here as Ramza says, have you minded to turn me in? Because Oran says, why would I do that? Our orders are to capture the deserters. They say nothing of heretics already hunted mercilessly by their own. It's your church, dude. (laughs) (laughs) And then he says, if I were one of those, I'd think to get moving on before the lions at my heels are feasting upon me as well. Like, love it. If there are any heretics around here, (laughs) (laughs) they might want to get on Get a move on. (laughs) And then they do have this last moment. They get back to the other conversation for a minute. And Ramza states it outright to Oran. Says, why do you still fight? Because Oran is still kind of participating in the surface level war, right? Where at least Ramza has now moved to a couple of layers deep. the, The next war underneath. And Oran says, so long as your brothers point their swords at our throats, we must. I don't think he believes that. Because Ramza sets him straight right away and says, if the white lion lowered his claws, the black would follow suit. And Oran says, no, I do not think that he would. So what do we do? So I ask again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just perpetual war again and again. So we got to vote in other dukes, I guess. Yeah, right. Well, then again, now, now here's... Here's the parallel, right? Find the people who can do something about it and empower them. And Ramza is learning. Don't think about the traditional structures of power necessarily. Who can help? And he says, could you deliver a message to Count Orlandu? You should chance to meet him. He doesn't know yet the connection. Right. And Ramza once again talks about the plot of the church, right? Or the third party, basically, of the church. It says, There are men behind the curtain who go to the dukes for their own gain. We are all but puppets, dancing as they pull our strings. It is those men we ought to be fighting. And Oran just rolls with it. goes, yeah, I'll, I'll deliver the message, but why to the count? And Ramza says, My father once told me that Count Orlandu was the only man he could truly call friend. So we've got that 50 years war connection again. It's their... Robert Baratheon and Ned Stark, right? 
And so then Oran comes out with it and says, yes, I am the Count's adopted son. At least he's giving back, since he knows who Ramza is, he, he you know, fair enough. Like, right. Give some yeah, of that, that, that seems fair. That's, yeah. that's a good turn. And he says, I will tell him what you've told me. And Ramza goes, really? <laughs> Just like that? Like, <laughs> that? This is way too easy. Are you going to shoot me now or something? Right. And then, once again, Oran lets on that he knew more and that there are people out there who know about this. Because he says, I do not know the reason these men seek the Zodiac Stones. I'm sorry, Oran, I don't remember mentioning the Zodiac Stones. <laughs> <laughs> but he continues, if it is for the benefit of the people, I see no reason to raise protest. He's giving some benefit of the doubt. He says, but if they seek to use the legend for their own gain, I can assure you my stepfather will not sit idly by. It was not for quiet complacence he was given the name Thunder God. Mm. Tasty. <laughs> so Ramza, noting that, wait, you you knew things. He goes, wait, how, do you know of the High Confessor's plot? And Oren says, of it? Yes. But we have no hard evidence. Our spies are working tirelessly, but I suspect you know more than they. Hey, maybe Ramza has information. And he does, because he's got the scriptures of Germanique. He has the evidence they've been looking for. And so then Ramza asks, if you had such evidence, would you then be willing to lay down your swords? Noren says, such evidence exists. And Ramza says, the scriptures. No, it, it matters not. I simply wish to know. It kind of matters, but... Uh, but but Oren basically acquiesces and says, you know, I can't say for everybody, but my father for one would surely sheathe his blade. And that's not nothing, right? Because as we've already established, it's Orlando. It, it may be uh, Dukes, Largan, Goltana, but they're not the ones running the armies. It's the Bales who's, who are running the, uh, the northern army and uh, Orlando who's running the southern army. Right. So if the general lays down his sword, that makes it far more difficult to prosecute the war effort. <laughs> At this point... They're interrupted by a knight who simply tells Aran that it's time to move on. They decide to continue their march. He says farewell to Ramza. says, see that you keep your head about your shoulders. Uh, Do you remember that three Disney Three Musketeers movie? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, right. and they're taking Chris O'Donnell to be executed, and the guy says, don't lose your head. Yeah. Same energy, right? Yeah, totally, totally. Then we seen transition to a place we have not been before, and it's introduced to us as the walled city of Yardro. Yardro? Yard Yardro. I would say Yardro. Give sure. that DR almost a G sound. Dro, yeah, Yardro. I don't like Drew. Sure, fair enough. You'd think I'd know. Uh <laughs> And we see the mage we saw a few scenes ago who was telling Ramza to come to Geobane's castle mysteriously in the rain. And a young woman of similar complexion and dress, right? All in white, ornate robes, a little bit of red detailing. And at this point, we are given these characters' names, again, in that classic JRPG fashion of just seeing the name before the text. And so the young man is named Marek and the young woman is named Rafa. And as always in this story, we come into the middle of a conversation and Marek says, are you blind to the treason of your words, Rafa? Rafa says, me? It is you who cannot see. He uses us, Marek. We are instruments of murder to him, not more. To stay would be to live out our days as the Grand Duke's cat paws, killing so he might keep his own hands clean. Come, let us run away together while we yet can. Marek says, Have you forgotten who it was who saved us when we had lost our parents to the war? Grand Duke Barrington opened his heart and home to the both of us. You would repay that kindness now with treachery? We owe him a debt of allegiance. 
we'd have died a beggar's death if it not for him. This is really interesting to me because we've already got a third party in the church, but now we've got a fourth party and a third duke. Yeah. So just adding to the complexities, right? But also, this is the problem everybody faces who's not born inside castle walls, right? We would have died a beggar's death. That's what the, the corpse brigade was arguing against, right? That's what those deserters we just killed were trying to avoid. Right. So actually, I don't think we've ever done this before, but I want to give a trigger warning now. Yeah. Uh, because in a minute, this conversation is going to touch upon, or at least allude to, we're almost certain, uh, sexual assault. Yeah. And so we're going to have to talk about that for just a little bit, for a few minutes, unfortunately. Because... We're getting deeper and deeper into, like you were talking about, the abuse of powerful men. And Rafa, in response to that argument about we'd have died a beggar's death and he saved us from the war and we owe him our allegiance and pledge allegiance to the Duke of bullshit, Rafa says, Freed us he did, Mark, but we were supped on lies. I know the truth of it now. It was the Grand Duke himself who set fire to our village. His hand, hidden by the smoke of war. I was talking about the fog of war, right? In that scene where Mm -hmm. we had to randomly kill those deserters. She says, and do you know why? Why he killed everyone we ever knew? It was for our gifts. You and I possess power, and power is all he craves. He burnt down our entire village that he might claim the sacred power of our mantras for his own. Opened his heart, you say? The man is not possessed of one. It is you who need open your eyes, Mark. Jeez. Yeah. So I'm reminded of Final Fantasy IV, right? Now it was the the water fiend in the guise of King Baron who sent Cecil and Cain to kill everybody in the summoner's village but Rydia survives so he didn't intend for that to happen necessarily but it's a similar situation also you know th- speaking of orphans right the king of Baron was raising Cecil and Cain and Rosa right. uh, there's the orphans in Final Fantasy 6 who Terra raises with genuine uh, gentleness sure. right. right there's the orphans in 8 yeah. uh, there's even in this game Delita was taken in by Beowulf right now, Barbaneth Beowulf had more genuine uh, motivations than uh, this Grand Duke they're talking about now. But it's interesting to see that pattern play out over and over again and how differently it can depending on the motivations of the guardians of the, of the orphans. And I don't think it lacks symbolism that after making an extraordinarily well-reasoned and logical argument for clarity and purpose. The man in the conversation responds by slapping his sister in the face. Again, it's the misogyny and the violent attempt to silence reason. And instead instill this tradition and rigid adherence to authority and power and whoever happens to be in charge at that time. And while it's bad on Marek to some extent, as we're about to learn, it's always, always, always worse on the women. And so in response to the slap, Rafa says, and this is where we get to that conversation, she says, you know, don't you? You know of the, the thing he did to me. You are my brother. You know of this. And even yet you. And he cuts her off again and says, speak not another word. You, you stir a rage in me, Rafa. I am your brother and your elder and, and I will not have you question me. Again, it's this, this misogyny power, this... I can't even admit that it's true. So instead, I'm going to get angry and silence you and hit you 
instead of just listening to you say, I was abused by this man in whatever way, and it's not made explicit, but come on. Right. For all that I feel like Marek's response here is inexcusable, it is perhaps understandable in that he has suffered, if not the exact same trauma, some trauma, right? So he, he knows his village was burned down. He is being used as a as a cat's paw, as Rafa put it. Right. And he probably does know that this Grand Duke Barrington almost certainly raped his sister when they were kids, right? This man who, who took them in and was meant to be a guardian, he did this awful thing to his sister. And he he knows that if he acknowledges that, that he's going to have to give up the, the stability they've got. Right. Right. Uh, so again, not excusable, but maybe understandable. And both of these characters need... <laughs> there, there needs to be a job class in Final Fantasy Tactics of trauma therapist. <laughs> yeah, totally, right? Like, this is just an, an awful, awful situation. And... You know, before we've even met him, we now know that Grand Duke Barrington is one of the worst people in the story. And yeah, it's just, again, uh, the reminder that, you know, when these compromises are made to horrible men, everybody suffers, but some people do suffer more than others and in even more grotesque and horrible ways. And I think this is also another reminder and you and I have had this conversation away from the podcast and just in talking about writing stories and telling stories and the way we know that assault happens and there's a way to talk about it in art and not. And far too often just depicting the act and not doing anything to talk about it is just way too prevalent in a lot of these stories. Whereas this is the opposite of it, right? Where they don't even come out and say it. It's just implied, but we see her surviving through it and her trying to make it take a different course. And so I think it's just a much more tasteful way to recognize that awful things like this happen in war and so should be a part of this story, but you don't have to grotesquely depict it for shock factor. Right, right. Yeah, it... it it's not just about making the Grand Duke Barrington such an obvious bad guy, right? It is also about recognizing that these, like you said, these acts happen. These acts are committed by the, the people in power, right? It is so often, those, we've said this before, those who have the least are hurt the most, those of marginalized communities. And in Final Fantasy Tactics, in the Kingdom of Ibilis, uh, women are a marginalized community. We've seen that over and over again. So a- acknowledging that without depicting it is is pretty powerful, I think. Yeah. And we actually really get a powerful statement in what happens next, too, because Ramza and team arrive. Marek makes it clear that he has been preparing for this moment. And Rafa makes a decision. And she runs. Yeah. Better to be a heretic than to be a pawn in these horrible people's game. Right. And so, like, with a lot of these battles, the way it's kind of laid out on the isometric screen, right? We, we see, like, bits of wall and stuff that separate one side from the other, and the battles usually have to take place tactically around them. And so it's really interesting the way this one sets up because... Rafa is able to run basically half of the way away from her brother before the battle starts. And so she's just kind of out there in the middle of the battlefield. But it pulls her brother's troops into a less favorable position as Ramza and their group come in to, for the twelfth time, try to save a stranger they've happened upon who is in danger. Right. And I'm glad that he keeps saving the strangers, right? Even though Argath was awful, like it was right to save Mustadio and Oron and Luso right. and and now Rafa. Right. right. It's the, hopefully no, not too many spoilers, but it's a Spider-Man No Way Home thing, right? Like, right. Exactly. You still do the right thing. 
So there are these uh, ninjas who assume, presumably also work sure. for Barrington. Right. Marek has Rafa betrayed us? And Marek says, pay my sister no heed. I will put an end to her defiance. The only slaying you need concern yourself with is Ramza's. Leave Rafa to me. And then yeah. the ninjas are like, but how are you going to explain her death to the Grand Duke? He says, hey, what did I just say? Breathe one word of this to anybody and that breath will be your last. So even though he's pissed at his sister, he is still trying to protect her in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really love that. He's, to, you, to the point you were making earlier, he is very conflicted and screwed up inside. <laughs> like, and understandably so. And Ramza is absolutely baffled. He says, wait, this girl is his sister? He is going to kill his own kin? Like, what mess have we just... I thought this was already screwed up. Again, it's kind of like like a, a microcosm for the story, right? He's basically saying, I thought we had already seen some jacked up stuff, but this is next level, man. So you fight the tactical battle, presumably. I mean, if we're going to go on in the story, you, you gotta win it. <laughs> and uh, Marek is very upset. And perhaps reveals that he's a bit of a believer because he asks if the gods favor a heretic over him. So he's he's buying into the propaganda uh, a little bit there. And then Ramza gets to you know have a moment with Rafa, do the whole "Are you all right? Yes, I'm fine. Thank you." That whole that whole situation. And Ramza explains that they are not safe where they are, and that they must find a quiet place to hide. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and thank you to everyone who's reached out to us. Feel free to let us know what we missed, got wrong, or should have mentioned by finding us on Twitter at FFWeeklyPod. You can email FinalFantasyWeekly at gmail.com, or you can always find us right here on Patreon or in the Discord channel. For more Final Fantasy and other video game and nerdy goodness, check out patreon.com slash Productions and join us next time when we continue our conversation on Final Fantasy Tactics.